0: Welcome to another edition of Hockey the Podcast. This time we are with Hockey Performance Academy head coach, the lady behind it all, former South African international Lauren Penny, as she shares her journey the highs, the lows, the challenges, and of course the success in her life on the hockey field. It's Hockey the Podcast. And welcome back to Hockey the Podcast, another edition of the podcast. So uh, that time to introduce our guest, she was part of the 2012 London Olympic squad. Uh, She was also part of the qualifying tournament in India, retired a little bit younger than some would say. Of course, her journey to international hockey was quite an interesting one. And she'll tell you all about it today. Lauren Penny, uh, thanks for joining us on Hockey the Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to
0: be here. I mean, your story is such a, such a cool one. Um, I was chatting to a friend about it. I was chatting to, uh, and I was watching one of your videos the other day. Y- your rise to the top is almost uh, uh, an interesting one because it was very much not the normal route to selection in terms of age group selection, in terms of selectors knowing who you are, in terms of playing hockey in the country where you're getting selected.
1: Absolutely. It was, uh, I suppose it's one of those things that you couldn't have made up. (laughs) And um, I guess these things happen for a reason. You have to learn certain lessons and your journey is there, I guess. Um, But I think it's a great message for a lot of people just to remind you that there's no perfect way, there's no one way to um, achieve goals or whatever it is that you're striving for. um, That actually, sometimes it happens for a reason.
0: Yeah, and just to fill in the blanks for those who don't know, you you didn't make one of the age group representative teams. You then moved over to the UK, and it's from that side that you actually managed managed to get yourself selected.
1: Yeah, so to put a long story into a bit of a summary, um, I was striving... I mean, I played Western Province all the way up through uh, under-16, up to under-18, well, actually from under-14, whenever it started. And I set my sights after under-16. I made like a... uh, performance squad we didn't quite have SA at that stage but I made like an all-star squad um, and that's when I decided actually under 18 I was going to try and get into the national team because that's when it started getting a bit more serious and um, so I kind of set my sights on that I had a bit of an 18 month goal so when under 18 IPT came and I wasn't selected I was very disappointed um, and especially when people also say you know you should have been in the team and you know you, you start questioning. You know, is it me? Is it politics? I mean, there was a part of me where, you know, it's very easy to blame the external factors, um, you know, whether it's coaches and selectors um, and certain politics. And and there's politics everywhere. I've realized, you know, it doesn't matter what country you are. There's different forms of politics around the world. And it's very easy to blame those factors. So at the time, I was quite bitter about it because I'd worked exceptionally hard to get there. And I felt that I should have been selected. Um, But looking back at it, I probably wasn't at my absolute best. I played. I didn't play badly, but I didn't play as well as I could have done. Um, and so that was kind of the the turning point for me, I guess, um, where I left, uh, went over to England for a gap year. And I decided I just needed to enjoy my hockey again because I'd started to lose that that enjoyment a bit, you know, the pressure that I put on myself, uh, the pressure around the goal of, of making the national team. So that was kind of like the turning point, I guess, where things started to change for me. Um, and my focus was more around having fun, enjoying my hockey, um, which is what I really needed. And actually, the club I went to in England was the best for that. Um, I ended up staying there for 10 years. <laughs> uh, so my gap year was quite a long gap year, um, but it was great. I mean, I had the opportunity to play, um, within a couple of seasons, I moved up from National League to Premier League, which is the top league in England. Um, and every week we were pretty much playing with, against a lot of the, the Great Britain players, either ex or current Great Britain players. So it was a nice tester, I guess, to see where I was at in terms of the international standard um, in England. And um, we had a lot of ex internationals in our squad and I learned so much from them. Um, and then that's when my game really started to improve and change. Um, and it was actually when I was playing, I don't remember if it was a European tournament. We had won the league in England and we went over to um, European tournament and there was a journalist there who was watching us playing games. And um, he came up to me after the game and said, why are you not playing for England? And I said, well, because I'm South African. And literally a week later, um, Giles Bonnet, who was the, the national coach back then, um, I got a call from him on Monday morning at work. And I honestly I thought it was a prank phone call. Because I thought <laughs> like, is this guy for real? Is the national coach really calling me? So um, yeah, so that's kind of how it started. Is you know, he basically called me and said, I heard you should be in my national team. And are you South African? Are you interested? Are you eligible? And um, so that's kind of how it happened. It was quite a unexpected. And I think because I had missed out as a junior, I wanted to give myself a chance, that second chance. And yeah, so that's literally a month later, I was in South Africa at a national training camp. Um, I had three days to kind of prove myself in the camp. And on that Sunday, I made my senior international debut. Um, he said, yep, I want you in there. And, uh, straight after the game, I flew back to London and <laughs> that, that started quite an interesting journey of six weeks back and forth between my job in England that I couldn't get time off for because it was the busiest time of the year in January. Um, and then working Monday to Friday, finishing work on Friday, flying straight after work, uh, landing on Saturday morning in Joburg, playing a game on Saturday, a game on Sunday, and then straight after the game on Sunday, getting back to the airport literally landed Monday morning, went to the gym, had a shower and then did that for six weeks in a row. So that was quite hectic kind of birth into the national setup. Um, but very grateful for the opportunity that I had, even though it was a little bit later on in life. Um, and like you said, um, you know, obviously it wasn't the perfect uh, international career in that it was shorter than I would have liked it to be. Um, and I'm sure we will, we'll talk a bit more about that uh, as we go. Yeah,
0: yeah but, but I love that the journey, I love that your journey is different. You know, often these these stories are are so much more uplifting for people. You know, this is a Hockey the podcast. Uh, it's about hockey, but it's not really. It's about the triumph of the human spirit. It's about the brilliant stories of the, the hockey athletes. And and yours is exactly one of those, you know, to have a door seemingly closed and to keep knocking away in a different way, maybe not in the traditional way, but to be rewarded for it. You know, I, I failed my board exam when I was uh, studying to become a chartered accountant, and... I, I remember disappointment, and I remember some people saying, Yeah, you know that was your best chance to pass it and you know I, I i remember the disappointment, but I also remember that the elation when you did succeed was almost bigger than had it come to you in the normal in the normal course of business
1: definitely, I think uh, the harder you work for something, the sweeter the the reward tastes at the end. So definitely, I can I can definitely say that's that's true. And I think what was key in that journey as well was shifting from an outcome. Uh, you know, it's important to have goals, but it was almost like your your value as a hockey player based on a selection versus falling in love with the process and just wanting to be, I mean, in England, when I really grew the most was actually, I just wanted to be a better hockey player. I just lived and breathed, you know, wanting to improve, not because I was trying to get into a national team, but just because I actually... I wanted to enjoy my hockey and, and have the maximum impact that I could.
0: Yeah, and and obviously you talk about Giles and, and that program at that time was arguably the the best program that our women's team has had post-isolation is that 2012 kind of era. Uh, there was a lot of test matches. There were some world-class all-stars in those teams, the likes of Durkee Chamberlain, Lisa Deedlas, could Katsia, uh, you know, Marsha Cox, Nicolene de Tablange, Denise Marais, all over 200 caps. I mean, it was a, such an experienced, uh, a cool, calm, collected team. It must have also been so awesome to be in a changing room, as much as it also intimidating, but uh, to be in a changing room with what is arguably our best post-isolation team. A hundred
1: percent. And I remember actually when I went to the first training camp, Um, I walked into the room. We were staying at this place, um, this farm or wherever it was. And I remember walking in and seeing Piti Kutsia, who was literally my childhood hero growing up. She was a striker. She scored goals. I was a striker. I loved scoring goals. I'd watched her so much on TV and literally walked in there. And she was like, hi, I'm Piti. And I just, for a moment, was so starstruck. And I was like, this is the (laughs) Piti I've kind of always kind of looked up to. And I never kind of anticipated what that would feel like until I was actually there and realizing that actually she could potentially be my teammate. So a hundred percent, I mean, I, I use Katia as the example, but there was also um, Kate Woods uh, back then was Kate Hector. Um, you know, these are players who've been to two, three Olympics, uh, players that I've watched up, uh, I've watched growing up and suddenly now, you know, playing with them, playing against them, um, you know, in training games and, and whatnot. So, yeah, there, I guess there is that, that kind of, feeling that you get a little bit starstruck initially, but I think you have to settle into that quite quickly because um, like you said, especially at the the Indian tournament where we qualified for the Olympics, if you look at that that squad and that journey that we went on to get to the Olympics um, and then the journey following through the Olympics, it was probably the best, you know, two year period to be part of the national team because of the amount of experience, um, not just obviously Giles bringing his experience, but the players that were there And at the London 2012 Olympics, we were the most capped team. We were the most experienced team at the Olympics. So for me, it was a real privilege to be part of that. And, and, um, you know, although things didn't always go perfectly, um, there were a lot of lessons to come out of that um, from a lot of the other players as well.
0: Yeah. And and let's talk about that, because obviously you uh, incurred a shoulder injury not long before the Olympic Games squad announcement Ultimately, you were part of the squad, you were one of the reserves, which means you didn't get to put your foot on the turf in the actual games. Um, again, when you think about your career, is, is that a moment that, that haunts you is, or is or a moment that you've used to to motivate you in, in sharing your message with others? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those
1: pivotal the Pivotal <laughs> pinnacle point. Sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna say pivotal and pinnacle.
0: It's a good combination. <laughs> um, one of those,
1: yeah, it's a new word, Um, but it's one of those moments which you know I really try not to live with regret. And looking back, there's not a lot that I could have done differently, but it's been such an important lesson for me to go through that because now, as a coach and and working with players, I would never be able to help them and understand them at that level from a mental level. Um, a mentor being more someone who's actually gone through and experienced what it feels like to either be a reserve or go through injury at you know that kind of level, um, and and the, I think again looking back from it, if I probably had better mental strategies, um, I think I would have managed the pressure better. Which would that have changed the injury? I'm not so sure. But the journey that I went on was quite a unique one. I think there's a bit of a theme here mm-hmm. in that being a reserve. I was still at the Olympics, Um, although I wasn't – so we had an agreement. What Giles said was you had to basically play. So I think it happened about five or six weeks before the games were about to start. And um, if the physio wasn't with me in the assessment, we went and had uh, ultrasound scans and all sorts of things to see what was happening. Um, And it was actually – it was in London. It was a South African, ex-South African rugby player who assessed me, and I begged him to lie about it. (laughs) And if the physio wasn't in that room, I swear I would have played. I would have made sure that I could do everything I, you know, to to get there. And um, but Jar's made an agreement and said, basically, you have to be ready at the London Cup. You've got to be playing at the London Cup for you to to be in the squad. And um, when I went and had this assessment with the specialist, he just said, "Listen, I'm a I'm a rugby player. I I get it. I understand it." And he said, "But." if you do this, you put the rest of your life at risk. He said, it then becomes quality of life. And if you don't give it enough time to heal, it's a very, very, it's not really worth it. Um, which was hard to hear because I knew walking out, I just burst into tears because I realized then um, <laughs> that it was over. Mm. Um, but the following day, we Giles made the announcement. I think it was after the, the London Cup. And I was still in the squad. So they announced a squad of 18 players, and only 16 get to play, and you have two reserves, normally an outfield player and a goalkeeper. And I I was surprised that I was still named as the reserve, despite the fact that I wasn't going to be ready to play. Um, So in the lead-up, I think it was about four weeks um, between that and then the the actual Olympic Games. Um, Obviously, with a shoulder dislocation, it's quite difficult, because you you can't really play hockey. So I, I started to lose a bit of hockey fitness, and this was obviously one of the concerns as well but what I had had to do was I had to keep my cardio fitness. I had to make sure that I I carried on in the gym. So while everyone was off, you know, doing the hockey and all the other fun stuff, you know, I was in the gym, I was cycling, I was doing what I could to stay as fit as I could. That if someone did get more injured that I would be able to play. So yeah, it was a very strange um, (laughs) situation, Um, but again, quite, quite grateful for the opportunity. Sometimes there's, you know, The bright side of things right and the silver linings are the lessons that i've learned in that journey which has helped me to be able to help and understand where others are coming from and what it feels like to still have to train as hard as everybody else if not harder even though you're not necessarily going to be playing and that's come in handy with a couple of players that i've worked with um where when you can understand it it kind of you say i've been there i've been there i know how it feels and this is what i did this is what really helped me Um, i don't think i could have learned that from a textbook
0: uh, Lauren, and, and I mean, there's also a uh, a tough part of being a reserve. I've chatted to Gowan Jones before, Malise from Tonda, a few others. You know, you're supporting the team, but uh, a small part of you hopes somebody doesn't get a serious injury, but it's small enough to to uh, just give you the opportunity. Obviously, it didn't happen, but, um, you know, how tough is it to actually be at the tournament knowing you, you aren't playing. You know, it's a bit different when you don't make a squad um, but you uh, but you stay at home and you kind of deal with it but this you're going with but you're not actually, so you're part of the squad but not part of the team on the field. You know, do you think you benefited as an experience of that or do you think that actually hurt you, you know, mentally with there scars that had to be dealt with later on?
1: Not at all, actually. Um, I'm quite an optimistic realist is is maybe the best way of putting it Um, in that I believe everything happens for a reason. And I think one of the reasons that Giles made me the reserve is because he knew that I had the mental toughness to deal with it listen, it was tough. I'm not saying it was easy. Um And it's easy to look back now and go, oh yeah, it was, you know, it was a good experience. It, there were tough moments for sure. Uh, it was very difficult. And you never want to wish, you know, your your teammates to get injured. So it certainly wasn't like that for me. I think it was, in, in fact, I think um Marsha, our captain, Marsha Cox, uh, Marsha Mariska at the time, I think she picked up um a minor injury, but it wasn't enough to put her out. And I think if she wasn't the captain, then potentially I, I may have been called upon. But I think the, and this is where what people don't understand outside of these kinds of environments is that there's so much more to it than the physical components whether it's your fitness and your skills at this kind of a level the thing that separates players is the the mentality the ability to stay focused the ability to shut out the noise and all the stuff that's going on in your mind around you know what if i don't play or you know this is unfair or whatever comes up for you know for you as a player um you have to be able to stay focused on the mission. And I think because I'm quite goal orientated, I was very much a case of I'm here as and when my team need me and I need to train as hard and it's just getting it done, you know, not allowing the thoughts and the doubts and all the stuff that comes up to stop you from taking action, you know, and the fears are there, you know, what if I get called up and I'm maybe I'm not as fit as I should be. So that was the thing for me, I think coming out of injury was I wasn't hundred percent sure that my fitness would be enough to play at the Olympic level um so yeah i mean it's a it's a very difficult one but i think the mentality is probably the most important part when you're in that position to to still put in 100 percent effort to still play the way you would play even if you were going to be playing
0: yeah look absolutely i mean it's it's incredible to watch and obviously i've been privy to uh a few um of the south african teams of late mostly the indoor teams and stuff but um Yeah, it's been incredible to see the non-selected players, how they take such pride in the teams.
1: Yeah, and, and I think you've got to remember that you're playing a team sport, you know, and we all have highs and lows and things aren't always going to go well. Sometimes you might not get selected and it's not necessarily that you're never going to get selected again. I think at the end of the day, it's the coach's job to select the players that they feel is the best for that time, for the tournament. The players that are informed, the players maybe sometimes the coach is working to a particular plan um, or preparing for a certain tournament. so I think it's just trusting you know we have a job as a player um, to do when we're actually on the field, but there's also being part of the squad is you've got to you've got to be selfless you can't just be thinking about yourself you're there as a team and at the end of the day you're there to represent your country so whatever's best for the country at that time, if that's what the coach deems to be the right team for that moment. Um, and that's part of their strategy. You have to trust that and allow the coach to do their job as well.
0: Uh, absolutely. Now, the the other thing that uh, we spoke about is the fact that uh, you know we talk about your injury in the Olympics, but injuries were a bigger part, unfortunately, of your career, um, as they they derailed you a little bit. And as you said, you never got to play probably half as many games as as you probably could have or deserved to. Um, uh, Again, how how were you able to to manage that? Because I myself didn't play at the level that you played at, but my own progress in the game of hockey and in soccer was derailed by knee injuries, um, and it and it was. I remember, I remember one injury. Yeah, you know, I, I tore my PCL, and I just remember, you know, I gained so much weight. I uh, I lost so much confidence. Like my self esteem took such a knock. And I was talking about playing sports at a far lower level. Now, I can only imagine what it does to players at an elite level like you were. You know, how did you deal with all of those things and, you know, make it out the other side okay?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, sometimes I'm quite philosophical, I guess. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but I think you've got to take things with a pinch of salt, first of all. Um, yes, I probably, I mean, in that year, in the year of the Olympics, in the lead up to the Olympics, I think um, some of our players picked up 100 caps in that 12 to 18-month period. And I think I played a third of that, <laughs> maybe, something like that, which shows you how injured I was. And it, it is exceptionally frustrating. Man, it sucks. It's so frustrating, sitting on the sideline, knowing that you should be there, wanting to play your part. you know. And I think especially from a motivation level, I think initially – and um, what ignited me was the fact that this, this was my second opportunity. You know, this was something that um, I didn't get as a junior. I didn't get that opportunity and that experience. So I wanted to make the most of it. So I think that definitely helped me to um, kind of recover from the injuries and, and do the rehab and do the, everything that I could to give myself a better chance of coming back. So I think that perspective, being a little bit older. Um the other thing as well is that what was different with me is a lot of players generally Come from the under twenty, they feed through the under twenty one system. And because I left the country at under eighteen level, I never really was involved in the under twenty one setup. And so I came in. I think I was 24 25 when I made my debut. I came in a bit older, which was very hard. Actually, it was probably the hardest thing. So the injuries were tough, but you know, I'm I'm pretty resilient. I can push through that. The, the thing that I found quite tough was coming in a little bit older into a team um, that already knew each other. Um, I. Had been living in England for a few years, so I had obviously all the plummy phrases and um, a bit of an accent. So I didn't quite feel as part of a team that I would have hoped to have. Um, And you know, you learn to earn your respect, I guess, and let your hockey do the talking, which is which was important. But the other thing that was different was I was working in a full time job. I was pretty established, you know, in my work. I was very successful in my work and what I was doing in England, Um, and so I wasn't just dependent on hockey for my self esteem. I had other areas in my life, and I think this is very important. When people focus on one thing only, it's not necessarily a good thing. Um, You'd need balance. You need other things to distract you and take your mind so that you're not becoming too obsessive about it. And so I think because I still had a healthy self-esteem outside of hockey, um, I was able to kind of put them in the box, if you like. And when I was playing hockey, I was there to play hockey. I wasn't there to make friends. I wasn't there to, um, you know, yeah, it's a confidence builder in a sense, for sure, but... You know i think the difference between confidence is confidence in your ability to do something a task versus the self-esteem i was confident in who i was as a person so i don't know if maybe coming in a little bit later on in life was a bit of an advantage in that that i could let go of the stuff that maybe would have affected me if i was a couple of years younger um and and listen i get it like i also picked up weights so with the shoulder injury i went and had um shoulder surgery which then developed into frozen shoulder so i was out for 18 months and I had hopes to come back after that. But then as soon as I came back onto the field, because I had started losing conditioning, I started picking up other injuries, knee injuries, patellar tendonitis, you know, just the shoulder then affected other areas. Um, and it was caused from the imbalances. Now the shoulder was so protective, it threw my hips out, which then threw my knees out. So I've learned a lot in that journey. That's again, helped me to help other players to understand the body better from a, not just a mental perspective and recovering from the mental scars and trauma, but also the physical components of, The body is a whole unit. You can't just look at your knee, or you can't just look at your shoulder, because it's going to have a knock-on effect to other areas of your body.
0: Uh, So true. I uh, I actually saw a a physio for a a back problem that I was having after I started running, and I kept getting lower back pain. The physio would treat me, and for two, three days I'd be fine, and then it would strike again—an intense pain—and I'd be back to physio, get treatment. Eventually, I went to a biokineticist, turned out, I had an Achilles problem, and that's what was causing the back pain, because obviously everything was shifting, um, in, you know, to compensate for the Achilles and pulling down on the back, and evidently down, you felt it then, and I, I tell this long, drawn-out story, simply because it's it's an amazing thing, the human body, and so often we get injuries, like a shoulder injury, but it's our arm that needs strengthening or a hip that needs strengthening as a result of that and a lot of the times we don't know this
1: yeah that exactly and like i said i think what's helped me a lot through my journey um is to always look for the lesson in things so when you're not winning what are you learning i know it's a bit of a cliche if you're not winning you're learning but i mean it really is and looking for the positives when when you're in a dark space, and listen, I went through a bit of a dark space, which set me on the journey into what I do now. And that's when I set up the Hockey Performance Academy. Um I had to really look at myself and be like, you know, I would sit on the sofa and feel sorry for myself and eat, you know, a whole bar of chocolate, <laughs> you know, the self-pity. And um, you know, I couldn't do anything. So I was just sitting there and, and eventually I picked myself up and I was like, okay, I'm gonna go, you know in the gym, I can't move my arm, but I can move my legs. So I'm going to sit on a bike and just cycle. And so I like I build back up after that, but there is that kind of dark place that you visit. And I think if I hadn't have been there, I'm not so sure I would have learned what I've learned throughout the journey. And I think we all get setbacks. It's inevitable in whatever we do, whether it's sport or life, um, but it's it's what that makes of you, right? You, you can make the most out of those by building the next thing. And when one door closes, potentially another door is opening. And so you've got to make the most of your of your situations and and your experiences and use them as almost building blocks for the next thing the next version of yourself
0: well and and you talk about the next version of yourself you you talk about hockey performance academy and backup. Let's talk about the next part of your journey so uh hockey retirement has come you've you've uh, merged your way successfully across into the coaching side, but it's not just coaching it's it's explosive techniques it's small bite-sized lessons that can be taught. And it's more of a a personal touch than just a hockey touch. Tell us about Hockey Performance Academy.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I set it up uh, about 10 years ago now. And my goal back then, so, I mean, how old was I then? Probably 27, 28, maybe. Um, And I was thinking about helping those younger than me, right? Like to help those on the journey that I had just been on, that 10-year journey, helping the juniors. So initially starting out, it was to help juniors. But as I went on, I realized, um, actually, there's, there's, there's players like myself who, and I've, I've noticed now, so I actually still play. I'm still playing um, international masters. I just went to my first Masters World Cup last year, over 35s in England. And it was amazing. It was it was brilliant. So um, from the playing side, like, I've shifted my journey as a player, and I've realized as well over time that as you get older, you're always going to have mental challenges. And so the program has really evolved as I've evolved. And um, as I've kind of learned certain things, I found that, you know, I start to attract a, a different kind of player who a lot of players have been playing for a long time, but their their past is haunting them in a way, without them even realizing it. So you can also get older players who've played for longer and the coach doesn't necessarily teach them new things because they kind of ignore the older players because they're supposed to know those things. They've been playing long enough, they should know those things. And so then some people have scars from when they were younger that they could have also made it and they didn't maybe make an A team or they didn't make a provincial team. And they've just accepted that that's who they are as a hockey player. So their whole identity as a hockey player is stuck in the past and they've continued to play for 10, 20, 30 years. And they're still thinking like that 13, 14, 15 year old hockey player, which holds them back. So a lot of what I do is, yes, I help hockey players, but it's helping people. It's personal development through something that they love. Everyone wants to play hockey that loves hockey. We want to be, um, putting time and effort into something that we enjoy, but we may as well make the most out of that. And so if we can start to look at how we can develop as a person, not just as a hockey player, how we can deal with things, there is such an amazing carry over without talking about the serious things in life. It's, it's not uncommon for people to suddenly get job promotions, to suddenly get into really good, healthy relationships or get out of bad relationships or, you know, different areas of your life. So the way I see it is kind of like buckets. You know, like I said, you can't just have hockey or you can't just have work. You need to have balance in your life. And so you can pick, let's say, three main buckets. You've got your work life or your school life. Again, that's obviously career focused. You've got your, your family and your relationships. So it can be you know, close relationships and your friendship circles. And you've got something that you do just for yourself. Okay? And that's for a lot of people, that's hockey. And so by bringing people together, hockey players together, teaching them valuable lessons and principles in life through hockey, that stuff has a knock-on effect. Um, James Clear calls it the compounding effect, right? If you've got the one percenters and you just focus on getting a little bit better every day, over time, it comes a point where there's that compounding interest that's built up. And that effect is then taken into other areas of your life automatically without necessarily trying to make those in- those improvements in your career because you as a person have shifted. And so that's why I spend a lot of time on mindset because if you, get, if you know how to get yourself into the right state of mind, if you know how to build your confidence and shift the beliefs that have been holding you back, uncover some of those limiting beliefs that we don't even know about, you'll surprise yourself at what you're actually capable of. And so for me... It's not just about helping players be a better hockey player, it's helping them to live a better, more fulfilled life, to enjoy, you know, their hockey, to do well, but also to enjoy it along the journey. Because there were times, you know, when I was in the national team that I love hockey, but I didn't always enjoy it. And um dealing with the pressures and a lot of the times it's the the pressure we put on ourselves, our own expectations that we create, takes away the whole fun part. And if we're not having fun in what we're doing, well then what's the point? So yeah. In a nutshell, <laughs> that's kind of what it's all about. It's it's just helping players to be better hockey players, but fundamentally to um, to change how they operate day-to-day as well in life.
0: Lauren, I love that. It's It's been a a slogan for me for many years. Uh, my nickname is Jabu because it means happiness, and, and that's really what I strive for in life. I don't strive for my lowest golf score. I strive for enjoying my round of golf. And, yes, hopefully I get a lower goal score. But if I don't, I've still enjoyed the round. I don't strive to be the perfect parent. I strive to have enjoyment with my sons. You know, I strive for that happiness. And, and that's exactly what I I love to see on the hockey field. And, you know, unfortunately, here in South Africa, uh, the highs that hockey have brought over the co- past couple of months have been matched by some lows. And, unfortunately, the lows got people talking a lot more than the highs do. And it just... It just sucks the happiness out of the game a bit for me and and it's tough. But, you know, if you were to talk now to the players in the men's side who are disappointed about not uh, being able to go into the pro league and I don't want to talk about reasons or whether it's right or wrong. I'm just talking about this is the situation that's there. What kind of things would you try and talk to them to help re-motivate and realign them uh, towards... con continuing their, their wonderful growth on the world stage?
1: You know, it's, we've experienced similar things. Um, you know, that tournament I spoke about before in 2012 in India, we only went to it because the African Cup of Nations wasn't enough and we had to go and prove our place to earn um, our spot at the Olympics. Obviously, 2016 didn't quite go that way. Um, so I think here in South Africa, we, I mean, you look ESCOM, you know, we, we, we quite resilient as a nation mm-hmm. <laughs> in general. And although it's extremely, extremely disappointing when you've worked so hard and you're growing and you're, on, you're having such great momentum and you can see a lot of those players um, are playing good quality hockey. You know, they, are in Europe, they've invested a lot of time in their game, which has helped them get the results that they're getting. And in order to maintain that, this is one of the things that becomes a bit of an obstacle another setback that they have to overcome so i think to remind ourselves that we are south africans are exceptionally resilient it's the one thing we are probably the most resilient nation if you look at all, all the hockey nations in the top 10 in the world we are probably the most resilient as terms in terms of people and i think we need to remember that we cannot control what's happening and the decisions that are made and sometimes we want to understand why but sometimes it's not really worth it right? it's just to go is just another thing that we have to overcome so it's really important to stay focused on what we can control and i think it's also important to for the players to look at the impact that they've made not just in south africa they've made a name for themselves people are talking about especially the south african men's hockey team you know and watching at the olympics watching them beat germany all the stuff that they've achieved over the last 18 months or so Has made me as a south african hockey player extremely proud and that you can't take away so yes you can take away the competition and the opportunity to continue to grow and to compete against some of the top nations that can help but you cannot take away the processes that they've put in place the hard work that they've done and inspiring the nation i think they've got to just remember the intrinsic desire and motivation that they've committed to to and and i was speaking to ryan julius um, was it last week, I think, and he also said, you know, they've realized as players that they're not necessarily going to be the ones that are going to be benefiting from what they're doing at the moment. So it's now about leaving a legacy. It's about making a state to make some changes in the future for the next generation. And so it's almost a bit of a selfless act, but do have a purpose, have a purpose in mind to go, you know, we're going to do everything that we can within our power to push South African hockey forward, to compete on the world stage. They're now no longer just showing up in tournaments, but they're actually competing. And okay, if you're not playing in the pro league and you're not getting that opportunity, what can we do? What can we do to stay competitive? And a lot of the players I work with, um, sometimes they come to me when they don't necessarily have, you know, the the level of coaching that's going to help them to get to the next level. Sometimes, I mean, I've got a player in Australia I'm working with. She she works, you know, four, five hours from her her nearest club. She can't play irregular hockey the whole season. You know, so we look at, okay, what can you do to help prepare? What can we do to get you into state champs? How can you, if you're not playing games regularly, what can you do? And I think that's the key is looking at the solutions. Don't focus so much on the problem. Focus on how can we work around the problem? What do we want as a nation? And how can we still continue to inspire the nation and do everything that we can? Because there's no point worrying about the things that we can't change. That's just extremely frustrating. Um, but remember the the inspiration that you've You've inspired the nation and uh any opportunity you get to do that, just keep keep doing what you guys are doing. That would be my message. Uh
0: absolutely, and we can only echo that keep doing what you guys are doing because they have done exactly that. They have inspired a nation. Um speaking about inspiring. A lot of your videos, a lot of your uh, podcasts are all about inspiring a player to to reach into themselves and unlock the potential have you had a great reaction to the content that you've been sharing and, and what other content can listeners go and find?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, and it's always nice to, um, you know, see what kind of hits with people, you know, what, what kind of content engages them. And I mean, listen, I've been doing this for over 10 years, so it's continually evolving. And like I said, as I'm experiencing different stages for me as a hockey player, uh, like I said, you, you start to see other things that uh, get in the way for some people as well. So, um, I would just suggest, you know, there's a, a different type of um, different type of content depending on what people are looking for and what they need. Um, I would say I probably specialize mostly in the the mental component, um, but I do have a background in strength and conditioning, the physical side, which is where things kind of started initially. Um, and then I realized <laughs> everyone has the same program. Why, why are some people getting more? Uh, or are some people going further than others? And, and the difference really was that mental piece. So depending on where you are in your journey, um, you know, HockeyPerformanceAcademy.com, the website. Otherwise, there's the social media page on Instagram, uh, Hockey Performance Academy. Best thing is to basically have a look and see what interests you and you can learn a bit more there. We also have a mobile app, free mobile app. So... A lot of the content um, is also put in there as well. We do five day kickstarts. We have a lot of free resources. Um, and then for those that want that little bit of extra personalized help support structure, we do also offer other programs, paid programs, um, to get that extra little bit of personalized advice. And
0: uh, um, what's the favorite type of content that you do make? <laughs> Skills. I mean, yeah, there we go. <laughs> I was. I, Everyone I, I, <laughs> wants skilled. <laughs> well, I was watching your 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 uh, goal scoring video with Ava de Guider not uh, that long ago. It ended in a tie, so I mean that's that's pretty good on your CV. Um, those kind of things quite a lot of fun.
1: They are absolutely yeah. I mean, I don't know if Ava was maybe being nice, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was it's always a nice challenge. Um, you know, going up against people like that so. You know, if only we were a bit closer to like a European nation where you've got a lot of the the international players, you know, you could do some more stuff like that. But um, yeah, people love the skill stuff. Obviously, it is the most fun to do. Um, And I always say to people like, you know, you need good skills. Make sure that you are competent in the skills that you have. But if you find that you're doing the skills in training and you've got the ability, but you're not using it in games or you're kind of hiding away, hesitating a little bit, you're not performing when you're under a bit more pressure, that's where the mental piece comes in. So I would just encourage players to look at your game holistically. Um, Sometimes there's a bit of a negative connotation around the the mental game. Uh, But, you know, do the fun stuff, but also do the stuff that's going to give you a bit of an edge um, and make you a better hockey player. So if you can balance again, it's all about balance. Balance fun with discipline and routine, doing the hard things, doing the things that other people are not willing to do is what's going to give you that edge.
0: And uh, what's next on the cards for, for Lauren Penny?
1: So uh, next year, from a playing side, we've got um, the Masters World Cup here in Cape Town. Um, so that should be towards the end of the next year. So obviously starting the new season now, it's, um, we'll have an IPT probably around August time in Pretoria. So uh, that's really gearing up towards that. We'll have an SA um, trials and training camp a couple of days before uh, that IPT. Um, and then the preparations will start for, for next year. Um, and then, yeah, the coaching stuff. Um, we've got some exciting developments coming up in the, the Hockey Performance Academy coaching stuff. Um it's a little bit under the wraps at the moment so uh, the best thing would be to follow along and obviously I'll make announcements uh, as things get revealed but um some really exciting stuff um happening in the next year or two.
0: Uh we can't wait to see it make sure you share tag us and we'll we'll share it as well for you.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much.
0: And uh yeah, thank you for making time and and accepting my a few delays while we waited for the voice to return. It's always great seeing people uh creating within the hockey environment, but creating far more than just hockey content, creating content that helps people in life. Uh, Lauren, I, I've enjoyed seeing your journey and I look forward to following it some more. Uh, so good luck for for what lies ahead for the next year or so.
1: Thank you so much, Ty. I really appreciate your time. And thanks again for for inviting me on. There. I really enjoyed having a chat with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The pleasure was all mine. That was Lauren Penny, Hockey Performance Academy. Check it out, social media. Check it out on the website. And make sure you're getting in and getting involved and throw a few challenges Lauren's way and see if uh, you can match the skills that are on offer. Thanks for joining us on Hockey, the podcast. We'll see you soon for the next one. Cheers.